Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians, meets each week for Sunday worship, as well as other activities during the week. Welcome to those of you who are new to this place, or maybe to Unitarian worship. Welcome to those of you who are here most weeks. Welcome to our regular visitors. Just as we have all taken our own individual paths to be here today, so we as Unitarians are free to shape, shape our path of faith. We're not identified by fixed beliefs, because for many of us, belief is a, a changing picture and develops in response to our life. But here, I think now, if we take a breath, and focus, what we can realise is that we are shaped by our connectedness with one another and with our wider world. So I invite you now to take that conscious breath and to tell yourself that you are truly here. You have arrived. Know yourself to be truly welcomed just as you are. And may we all find something that which we are most in need during the next hour. May the weary find rest, may the troubled find peace, and may those who feel blessed find new ways to share their good fortune with others. And let us enjoy that sense of being part of something greater than ourselves. For whatever our faith, whatever our beliefs, we're part of the great stream of life itself, flowing moving ever onwards together. May the light of this chalice, symbol of our worldwide Unitarian community, may this light shine in all of our hearts and in the togetherness of our gathered community. And may its light be reflected out into the world, to all places where the light of tolerance, justice and love might brighten and lighten and warm people's lives. Welcome, welcome to you all. I'm going to ask you to join with me now in a time of prayer and reflection in which unusually I'm using someone else's words. A writer called Hugh Prather, um, who I'm, I'm very fond of his work, it's an unusual prayer for us Unitarians to speak because it speaks to God, to a divine presence. It seeks comfort in God's love. And in, in a world that had so much difficult news this week, I found it comforting. I hope you do too. So I call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now in this our time of worship and to bless our togetherness. I put my trust in you today. Lead me to your arms. Wash me in your light. Fill me with your quietness. 
show me the irrelevancy of discontents and desires, of resentments, of all that I think I've made of myself apart from you. Hold me and talk to me until I see myself as you have seen me always. Until I know myself as you have known me forever. Until I find myself where I have never left, bathed in your joy, secure in your love, at home, at rest, at one with you. Amen. The world's wisdom traditions have so many teaching stories, stories that advise us on how best to live a good life. And since this whole service is about good advice, I've been asking people some of their favourite stories. This was the one that got mentioned the most often, and I wonder if it speaks to any of you as well. And it's the Taoist story of an old peasant farmer who had worked his crops for many years. One day, his only horse, a magnificent stallion, ran away. And upon hearing that news, his neighbours came to visit. Oh, such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Maybe, the farmer replied. And then the next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbours exclaimed. Now you've got four horses. Maybe, replied the old man. And then the following day, the farmer's beloved son tried to ride one of those untamed horses and was thrown and broke his leg. Serious thing in a farming uh, community. And those neighbours, who are now in this story becoming quite irritating, the neighbours again came to offer their sympathy on his misfortune. Maybe, answered the farmer. And the day after, military officials came to that village to draft all the able-bodied young men into the army. And of course, seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. And the neighbours, well, of course, they congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out, after all. And the farmer, well, the farmer said... In Charles Dickens' famous novel, David Copperfield, we meet Mr. Micawber, a kindly, larger-than-life man who befriends the young Copperfield. Mr. Micawber is thought to be based on Dickens' own father, who had great trouble managing his family's money and spent time in a debtor's prison when Dickens was a child. Here is some sound financial advice from Mr. Micawber, which might be of economic relevance to some within the banking profession in our society today. <clears throat> My other piece of advice, Copperfield, said Mr. Micawber, you know. 
£20 annual expenditure, 19 and sixpence result happiness. Annual income, £20. Annual expenditure, £20, naught and sixpence. Result, misery. The blossom is blighted, the leaf is withered. The god of day goes down upon the dreary scene. And, and, in short, you are forever flawed, as I am. <laughs> I want to hear the whole novel now. <laughs> uh, dear. Well, those words of Mr. McCorber's, uh, they were some of my mum's favourite sayings when we were growing up, along with assorted other bits of advice, financial and otherwise. Neither a borrower nor a lender be was one that has stayed with me from my mum all these years. And when I challenged that as a teenager, wanting to lend my friends everything I possessed, and in fact everything my family possessed, <laughs> she countered that by introducing a new maxim, only lend something if you're prepared not to get it back. Now, in last week's service, I asked people to, to write down good advice that stayed with them over the years. And when I looked through some of the 20 or more pieces of advice that um, you kindly wrote down for me, it was perhaps not surprising that family members were the most frequently quoted source of good advice. Gina's son wisely reminds us all to not give advice unless we're asked for it. <laughs> and, and Liz's dad told her that no experience is ever wasted if you learn something from it, which has helped her to think more positively over the years about some of life's more difficult experiences. Carolyn's father says, always think before you act. And the classic encouragement of, just do your best, dear, echoed from various families. So thank you to everyone who contributed their pieces of good advice. We'll hear a few more later. And some are on the special good advice cards that hopefully you all received one of earlier. If you didn't receive a special advice card, then let us know. We'll make sure you have one. More of those later. Okay, you can be honest. Do we really like receiving good advice? It depends, doesn't it, I think, on, on the circumstances on, on, and who is giving that advice. I don't know about you, but there are people in my life, some really dear friends, who I rarely pr tell my problems to because they have such an urge to put me right and give me their pearls of wisdom when I really just want to air the problem and be heard. And then there are other people, and I hope you have these people in your life too. They're the ones I'd always choose to share my problems with because they listen so well and they seem to guide me towards my own solution rather than shoving their own views at me. 
So I think when it comes to advice, timing is crucial. When someone gives us that right advice at the right time, it can make such a difference. And at other times, that advice might just as well never have been uttered. So it's little wonder then that I'm so amused by Oscar Wilde's delightful wisdom on the front of the order of service sheet today when he tells us, I always pass on good advice. It's the only thing to do with it. It's never of any use to oneself. (laughs) Now, there's plenty of good advice that's been around for thousands of years. I've been reading sayings and uh, proverbs from around the world this week, some of which, as you can imagine, are culturally specific, some are now very outdated. There's a surprising number of old English proverbs full of advice about how women, children and dogs should be treated, with methods, frankly, we'd find abhorrent in this day and age. But then some sayings are timeless and universal in their message to us. Last week, several people mentioned traditional proverbs being helpful to them. Some of the favourites were, a stitch in time saves nine. Don't put off till tomorrow, what you can do today. Uh, A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Just a few examples. And you'll no doubt have your own favourite sayings, passed down through the generations perhaps in your own family. Sayings such as these are a way of encapsulating and passing on cultural, societal wisdom. And you perhaps already knew the saying that's the inspiration for today's service from the deserts of Arabia with its wry take on both faith and the nature of camels. Trust in Allah, but tie up your camel. Isn't that just a perfect way to remind us that though religious faith may be valuable, it needs to be tempered with some really basic good sense? There's um, a modern story as well that you perhaps know um, from the Christian tradition which gives a similar message and it's of a a very religious man on top of a roof during a great flood and a rescue team comes by in a boat and they shout, come on, get in, get in! And that religious man replies, no, I have faith in God, he'll grant me a miracle. Later the water is now up to his waist and another boat comes by and the rescuer tells him again to get in. Again, he responds that he's got faith in God. God will give him a miracle. So it goes on. With the water at about chest high, another boat arrives. Again, he turns it down. Water at chin height, a helicopter actually throws down a ladder. And they tell him to get get in. But mumbling now with the water in his mouth, he again turns down that request. For he has absolute faith that God will save him. And so he arrives at the gate of heaven with broken faith and says to St. Peter, I thought God would grant me a miracle. I've been let down, complaining to management, clearly. And St. Peter smiles and responds, I don't know what you're complaining about. We sent you three boats and a helicopter. (laughs) Now the message of of sayings and stories such as these finds echoes in many of the self-help books that abound these days in in bookshops and perhaps on a number of our bookshelves. I don't know if you're self-help fiends like me. I've just brought a few of mine down for you to to have a look at later on. In, In days gone by, I think when changes in society and family structures came at a much more gentle pace, I suspect much of our good advice would have come from our families, from the elders of our communities and from our religions. They would have helped people to establish their own moral compass, if you like. 
When we look at the growth of self-help publishing, two names stand out from its early days. Samuel Smiles, I don't know if you know that name, a Scottish reformer who published his first book called Self-Help in the 1850s and did so much with workers' education and mutual improvement societies to improve the lot of working people who'd been crammed into those Victorian cities in such an unhealthy way. That is not a, an easy read now, probably not on my recommended list, self-help by Samuel, um, Samuel Smiles. But, oh, it contains such a passion for making this world a better place. It reminded me of those famous words of Gandhi's, be the change you want to see in this world, get on and do it. Another well-known name in the realm of self-improvement is Dale Carnegie, whose most famous book is over there, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's never been out of print since it was first published in the 1930s. Another of his works, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, is also hugely popular to this day. Now that title, How to Win Friends and Influence People, has been joked about endlessly over the years. It's been dismissed as a guide for smarmy salespeople, yet at its core, it's got a really simple and profound message. Be interested in other people and be as kind to them as you can possibly be. Not a bad piece of advice. Self-help books such as these often guide us to take responsibility in life. Responsibility for those external matters, but responsibility also for our own internal world too. We can change our thoughts the message goes. I think it's NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it's Neuro Linguistic Programming that uses the term reframing to encourage us to look at our thoughts and indeed our lives in a more helpful way. Glenn, our new children's leader, gives us a perfect example of this when he, he wrote last week, one of the most helpful things anyone's ever said to me was when I was an angst-ridden teenager, full of woe for humanity and for our planet, whilst also feeling unhappy about being negative. I expect a few of us have had that double bind where we managed to feel totally terrible, whatever. And then it was Glenn's oldest friend who said to me that my pain showed him I had a deep, deep love for life. Hey, what a change in perspective words from Glenn. That human ability to reflect on and if needs be to change our thoughts is a remarkably useful skill to develop in life. We don't have to think in the old ways. We are responsible for our thoughts as well as our actions and we can change both. Now, as is sometimes the way with good advice, contradictory messages can be equally valuable. Yes, it's important that we take responsibility in life, but there will also be times to let go, to step back. Someone wrote last week for me, a Buddhist meditation said to me that detachment was very important in their religion. This surprised me, but I do find it useful to a degree, not getting overly involved in other people's problems or taking on responsibility for their lives. I found that very important. So I wonder what your good advice to yourself and indeed to others might be. It's something to talk over, uh, talk over, on a, over a cup of tea or coffee after today's service perhaps. 
and it is probably only right and proper for a Unitarian minister, after a whole week of study, all I can come up with is a list of contradictions. I wonder if any of these three bits of good and contradictory advice strike a chord with you. My first would be to be yourself, yet never forget your ability to make changes, to grow and develop through the course of our lives. My second would be, be kind to others, yet always remember that there are times to be tough in speaking the truth in relationship with others. And my third would be, to be grateful for the gift of life itself, and then never forget just how very tough other people's lives can be. Life is a gift that, as far as I'm concerned, has been most unfairly distributed. And as an example of life's injustice, as you came in today, I think you would have been given a card of advice. And that was just thrust upon you. But now you have the chance to change it. If you don't like that advice and don't want to take it, or if by any chance you didn't receive one, there are some more on the uh, table there. And it's entirely up to you. Take the advice or leave it. Um, but we'll now be listening to some music and we're going to be taking the collection as well. If here you have found freedom, take it with you into the world. If you have found comfort, go and share it with others. If you have dreamed dreams, help one another that they may come true. And if you have known love, give some back to a bruised and hurting world. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>